0: In today's market, retention is a real challenge for a lot of organizations. This is where we see digital world-class have some very distinct advantages. They do a better job of retaining employees. A lot of it has to do with how they're organized and the use of technology. They just have much better capabilities on staying on top of the issues, leveraging different technologies to gauge employee engagement levels.
1: Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance.
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Franco Giermonti and I'm your host for today's Hackett webcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm also joined by my colleague here, Tony DiRimaldo. Tony, would you like to say Hello. Hey, Franco, great to be here. Fantastic. Well, everyone, we've got a great topic for you today. We are talking about our Digital World Class 2022, and Tony and I are going to comment on some of the things that we're seeing different relating to Digital World Class HR organizations and what's uh, special with them. So, Tony, if you want, let's get this uh, started. What is Digital World Class
1: HR and why is it important? Digital world class, Franco, is Hackett's representation of the what we see in our benchmarking database of HR organizations as the top performing HR organizations. And, and that's based on a number of specific measures of their performance, as well as measures of their enabling capabilities and various practices that are all driving that performance. And so one of the the things about digital world class that is i think a key element is that you know not only are they outperforming the typical hr organization but they're doing so in ways that they utilize digital technology and that's to drive the operational excellence of delivery of hr services so you know cost and timeliness Also, the business value that they're delivering to the enterprise around core services driving important things like talent management, data and insights for managers, and so on. And then the third thing that is very important, especially in the digital age, and that is the experience that stakeholders, that managers, employees, or candidates in the recruiting pipeline Their experience dealing with with HR organizations. So, those are all the things that we measure around digital world class and, and are the elements of defining that. And, you know, why that's important, a couple things. I mean, today, HR is and businesses are having to cope with tremendous volatility, stress, uncertainty, you know, whether it's in the business also as we're seeing increasingly around employees and the talent market you know when you really look at what organizations need to do to be successful in this kind of an environment and to sustain that success a core element really is having a high performing and highly motivated and skilled workforce so having a digital world class operating model and set of capabilities and level of performance is going to help businesses to drive the results they need to drive vis-a-vis their workforce. So, Franco, I've given the definition and, and why it's important. Can you speak a little bit of, about some of the elements or some of the specific indicators of performance where digital world-class outperforms the typical HR organization or what we call, in Hackett speak, the peer group, which represents the average of all of those organizations in our database who are not world-class. Can you speak to some of the key things that you're seeing that are, are important differentiators?
0: Yes, Tony, I'd be happy to talk about what we're seeing in terms of key differences between the digital world-class HR organizations and how they're outperforming the peer groups. So one area we could look at is technology. You know, one of the things that we see is digital world-class organizations spend 90% more per employee than peer when it comes to investing in technology. If you look at that more closely, where that manifests, it's not just, you know, in their main or core HCM system. I mean, in some of the work we're doing with our clients and understanding this overall HR infrastructure, we have, in some of the work we've done, identified over 47 different capabilities that we see. And digital world-class organizations have a much greater coverage of those different kinds of capabilities. And obviously, to maintain that type of infrastructure, they've invested heavily to maintain it and to acquire and maintain those types of capabilities over time. Another area, which, again, with the benefits of this added investment in technology, is that we see much higher levels of automation. To really make that point is that we see there's 76% more automation in the digital world-class organizations than we see compared to peer groups as well. So things like self-service, turning on various features, workflow, coordination, and synchronization to also the use of AI, they're taking advantage of a lot of that automation to stream in. And the other thing, too, I see as a common characteristic is they don't give up on it. I noticed that when we're talking with clients, they'll say things like, oh, we've tried to automate that and our managers and employees didn't like it, so we turned it off, right? Or we've tried self-service and, you know, our managers and employees didn't like it, so we gave up on self-service. I think one of the characteristics is that when you see these digital world-class organizations and the significant investment they're making in technology, in automation, they stick with it. They refine it. They make it better. They don't just put it back on the shelf because they had A few complaints from employees. So that's something to kind of keep in mind as well. Another area is around productivity. They service 67% more employees served than they would, you would see in the peer organization. So if you think of the ratios between the number of employees served by HR employees, that ratio, they have a a higher rate there by 67%. So again, that could be the use of their technology that could be related to their service delivery. They just have work allocated within their service delivery model in the right areas and they have the right individuals working on the right activities to make their operating model and their technology much more efficient and therefore they get more higher productivity. When you think of all these areas around investment in technology, automation, and productivity, the one thing that we see from a metric perspective around cost, they have a 34% advantage over peers in terms of lower cost of operations than what we would see in the peer organization. So that's the digital world-class companies that is. So, Tony, I mean, with that, one of the areas that we talk about is like direct access. Can you talk a little bit
1: more around that Yeah. So by direct access, and you've touched on this a bit in in your remarks, it's really around what's known as self-service. So it's the ability for employees, for managers, even candidates to access data, access functionality from HR systems. And it's interesting You know, what you were describing around self-service and and what we're seeing in particular with Digital World Class is that they've moved away from this concept of self-service, meaning things that HR used to do on its own, we now want to extend out and let the employee and manager do. And now it's more about how do we enhance the work, the productivity, and the experience of employees, of candidates, and of managers. Yes, there's still some of the basic admin stuff. How do we make that easier to do in terms of what they need to do to accomplish their jobs, giving them direct access to capabilities that are truly providing some value added to the users? And so what we see with digital world class is they have a, a significant advantage in utilizing self-service direct access technology. They do it on a much broader scale. In fact, what we've been able to measure across the different technology is an 83% greater deployment of these capabilities to the business. So if you think about that, that means more cost-effective access to vital HR services and also providing some value added, particularly when it comes around, comes into functionality, analytics, and insight for managers around comp or around retention. You get into all these people management issues that they're able to tap in directly to key data and key functionality. This is yet another example of how digital world class and the way they invest in technology and the impact that it's having is very much on a plus side and i mean just thinking about that's just one example of quote value add to the stakeholders into the business franco i know you've got some other areas Based on what we've observed in terms of how digital world class delivers greater value to the business. And I'm just wondering, can you touch on a couple of those?
0: Yeah. Thank you, Tony. You know, when we think about the advantages they have, I mean, in today's market, when we're experiencing things like the great resignation, right? Retention is a real challenge for a lot of organizations. And I think this is where we see digital world class have some very distinct advantages, right? They do a better job of retaining employees. But when we dig into that and you find out why, what advantages they have, I think a lot of it has to do with how they're organized and the use of technology. They just have much better capabilities on staying on top of the issues. So for example, very specifically, think of the ability, one of the things that we say, we tell our clients when it comes to retention is you've got to be listening to your employees to know what's going on. Why are they leaving the organization? Why are they dissatisfied with their job? Why are they low, not fully engaged in their job and potentially looking for another role, right? I think the best way to combat that is having a capability, a listening capability. So what does that mean, right? That's like leveraging different technologies to gauge employee engagement levels at not at, you know, a one-time annual engagement survey. I'm talking about something that's more frequent, more accurate, more up-to-date in terms of things like, you know, employees giving you sort of sentiment analysis, sharing their sentiments about how they feel on any given day as they interact with the organization. I know some of our clients have these kinds of features built in. Every time an employee accesses the website or the portal or enters in their password, they're letting their employer know how are they feeling for the day. And if you track that and you listen to that over time, you can gauge what's going on and see if there's any particular areas of concern that have to be further investigated. I think other areas too would be like in your use of exit data, looking at why employees are leaving. What are some of the questions that employees are have or concerns that they have as they're calling into HR? Do they have concerns with their benefits or their vacation or various policies and monitoring that very effectively and using analytics to see or spot trends or issues before they become a problem. So that as HR identifies these trends and issues, they can, you know, develop some interventions to either deal with it. So I think that's uh, one area in terms of some greater value. I think also if you look at recruiting and attracting employees, I think is very helpful. I think when you see the different kinds of investments that you can do around the use of, let's say, chat bots for interviewing, right, a chatbot can interview a 1,000 candidates in the same time that probably a recruiter may interview 20 candidates. So think of this. I mean, you're not going to use a chatbot to interview executive candidates or senior management roles, but some of those high-volume, lower-skilled roles that companies are trying to recruit for a chatbot can really significantly improve your productivity and accuracy because they're they're scanning over a thousand different resumes and talking to a thousand different people at the same time maybe a recruiter has the ability to only look at twenty. And so you've got that it's almost like a fisherman. They've got a much bigger net out there. They can catch a whole lot more fish than a typical recruiter. So those are again just a couple examples where we see These digital world-class HR organizations just stand out from the peers in terms of their use of technology and their use of data and insights that they have within their environment. So, Tony, as we keep going on, I mean, obviously, a lot of clients ask us, okay, what's it take to get there? What are some of the things I should be doing as an HR leader to get to digital world class? And I know in our paper, we've identified uh, six capabilities. Do you want to maybe talk about the first three? And then I can go from there and pick up the last three?
1: Sure, Franco. And yeah, these are all critical to making to making progress the first is you know not surprisingly technology enablement so you know as we've been talking about and describing what digital world class organizations are doing and it very much exhibits the art of the possible so first and foremost is really take advantage of the tools that you already have and make sure that they're being utilized i would focus on two specific targets one is enablement of processes. And there, particularly around transactional processes, the degree to which you can fully automate rather than just enabling a person to do a task, a manual task, but to actually digitize and have it fully automated and let the system do it, the better. And, And there are a lot of tools out there today, and they're getting better. Many are having built-in machine learning and artificial intelligence, so they're learning and getting better. So the digitization possibilities, particularly in the transactional area, are growing. But also, we can't forget the enablement of our people. And again, whether it's in HR, and there are lots of opportunities to use technology, right, to arm our HR business partners to arm our HR generalists and people who are dealing in the contact center on a day to day basis with inquiries and whatnot to make sure they have the data, the insights to hand so that they can, you know, deliver the services efficiently and and effectively. So that, I think, is number one key capability. The second thing, and it's related, it's implementing a modern and a holistic digital architecture for HR technology. You know, one of the things that we've been seeing and spending a lot of time actually working with our clients around is how to get a better handle on all of these different technologies and capabilities related to technology that are already in place, as well as what's out there and available. And to begin to landscape or architect what the broad architecture of technologies needs to be in order to deliver a full scale across of all all of hr digital world class service delivery model right where technology is either directly the vehicle through which people access and experience hr services data and insights or where it is augmenting and supporting and so having that big picture that big framework understanding how it is supporting your existing HR strategy, where you're looking to go with it, what are the key areas HR is trying to make an impact on, and then making sure that you're prioritizing the new technology you're bringing in or the extensions of the existing technology that you're planning, you know, roadmapping that and managing that implementation. That's how you're going to build this capability. Faster and more effectively. And we see that as a defining practice from a digital world class HR organization. So those are two I would mention. The third is stakeholder or customer centric service design. And these are not new concepts, but I think our familiarity with it and the maturity of utilizing these concepts. Is growing, and they're particularly critical in the space where we're designing a digital service delivery channels, right? Which mean they have to start with that end user, that consumer of the service, and typically that's going to be the employee. It's going to be the manager. It's going to be a candidate, but then it's even divvying it up more granularly than that, understanding different workforce groups and what they need from the particular service or capability they're accessing vis-a-vis HR. And we need to design that digital capability so that it starts with their needs. It starts with what they are looking to do and the value they need to be able to access, and we designed to deliver on that. So those are three that I'll speak to. Franco, there are three others. Shed some light on those.
0: Yeah, and Tony, just before I do that, though, I I wanted to talk about the customer-centric service design. I know in some of the research we've been doing around COEs and the new and emerging COE capabilities, we're seeing that some HR organizations are also implementing like a vice president of employee experience or a director of employee experience, right, to help marshal or lead that way for the HR organization to really make sure that they have this customer-centric mindset in almost everything they do. Yeah, so let's talk about the other areas. Tony, I'd like to just change it up a little bit because I want to cover off three topics, I think three capabilities, but I think I have a really cool story that really highlights what those are like and one is the three capabilities that I want to cover is is the use of data analytics Right. How uh, operating model evolution, how HR is evolving the HR operating model and the talent, the talent within HR and what kinds of investments are making in those areas. And when I hear these three capabilities, I think back to this one story where a CHRO was relating to me around the performance of one of his HR business partners. And you have to go back a little bit in time here last fall, where in the U.S., there's all this talk about mandating the vaccines across employers, right? The president and other leaders across and health leaders were all saying that they're gonna make employers mandate that basically their employees have to come into work. They have to be vaccinated for them to come into work. And my client was telling me about a story where the HR business partner was called to a meeting with head of manufacturing and the CFO. And they basically, their attitude was, let's rip the band-aid, let's enforce the mandate, let's forget the noise that we're hearing, let's just go with it and move on. And normally in that type of a situation, that HR business partner would have walked into the meeting and really just shoot from the hip and say, yeah, I guess, but we don't really have to do that because it's not a compliant issue at this point in time until it's a directive. And we're probably going to lose some employees if we do that. That's typically how an HR business partner would approach those meetings in terms of, you know, sharing some maybe past experiences, implications of the laws, those kinds of stuff, but nothing really beyond just the normal stuff off. What was interesting, though, and the CHRO was in this meeting as he related to me, is that this person came well prepared. They First of all, they knew that this was an issue when it came to analytics, that they needed some data to support their positions. And so they worked with the HR analytics team to identify what particular plants were going to be impacted and predict what plants would potentially shut down because they would lose a number of employees to the mandate. And they also looked at, like, critical workforce segments. So... What it speaks to is just a a wonderful example of how an HR business partner was able to bring analytics to the conversation. And the result of all that was basically she owned the conversation. Like the CFO and the head of manufacturing were caught off guard. They didn't realize or understood the implications of that rip the bandaid approach style that they were trying to push on to HR. With this data and with this insights, obviously, the decision was to pause and wait to see what happens before we have to and if anything what it got them doing was start to be better planning around if the mandate was going to come through we have to start getting prepared because we don't want those operations to be impacted in any way and so again if you think about that from those three capabilities analytics operating model and talent i look at that and say what the chro was telling me is that number one we had a really full and capable analytics team that could support the business partner in time of need and for very specific business problems and issues that we're trying to resolve. The other was is that the business partner, they weren't saddled with all sorts of other responsibilities that normally distract business partners from these kinds of conversations and these meetings. In other words, their operating model was well-tuned to support the business partner for these type of meetings. They had an analytics capability, The HR business partner was strictly and mostly spending their time focused on strategy. And there was other groups in HR that could take on those other tasks that we traditionally have saddled HR business partners with, which distracted them from supporting the business. And lastly, around talent. It's obvious they've invested in their HR business partners and their HR professionals to realize something like analytics and how that is viewed as an asset, it's a skill set, it's not just having data and data reports and fancy statistical modeling tools, it's the whole package that's really part of this. And he had told me that they had spent a lot of time investing in that area of talent. So again, I, hopefully that story I think crystallizes I think these three capabilities that we see in digital world-class. I think it's a fantastic example of what HR can be as as they achieve that digital world-class status. So Tony, I think we are out of time. So one, I wanted to thank you for joining me on this call. And as always, it's a pleasure when we can talk about these really important issues. I think from your vantage point, from the researcher and my vantage point from interacting with my clients, I think it just provides a really good mix. So thank you for joining me on this call. To our listeners, please don't forget to go to our website. We have a number of podcasts. It's a podcast.thehackagroup.com for more information on not only today's podcast, but other podcasts that we have or upcoming podcasts. So I hope you enjoyed our podcast. So Tony, thank you again for joining me. My pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. Com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app, so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this, or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehacketgroup.com.